Welcome to the We Talk Careers podcast brought to you by Women in ETFs. This is Christine Delano, and I'm thrilled you've joined me. Twice a month, we'll meet an amazing executive who'll share a story about her career and give us some great insight into her success. So if you are pursuing excellence in your own career or intrigued by the hustle required for a career on Wall Street, this podcast is for you. If you haven't yet, please take a moment to subscribe. Survival is essential. Success is great. But what does it mean to thrive? We've compiled the most popular and compelling advice from our guests and created a Thrive Guide with a workbook on leadership skills such as clarifying your vision and growing your influence. You can grab it at christinedelano.com. To find out more about our show and our guests, I invite you to follow me on Instagram. All these links will be in the show notes. So put aside that massive to-do list and let's get inspired. In this episode, we are talking to Rita Cheng about building your network. How do you create lasting and encouraging connections? Margarita Cheng is the CEO of a financial advisory firm, Blue Ocean Global Wealth. As a certified financial planner, she helps educate the public, policymakers, and media about the benefits of competent and ethical financial planning. Rita is a regular columnist for MarketWatch and a past spokesperson for AARP Financial Freedom Campaign. Rita volunteers her time as a soulmate or charity runner for Girls on the Run, raising money for scholarships. I'm proud to announce that Rita was recently awarded the 2021 Women in ETF Service Award. Rita is passionate about helping people financially navigate some of life's most difficult issues. And I'm pleased to welcome Rita Cheng to the We Talk Careers podcast. Welcome, Rita. Hello. Well, thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so happy to hear you and um, and to just lean into some of your expertise today. I think building networks is something a lot of folks talk about, but not everyone has cultivated a great methodology for doing that. So some of our listeners know they they need to get better at it, but the idea can be daunting. So maybe you can just kind of kick us off with a bit of a story about networking. Well, absolutely. And networking is and can be daunting. I just want to acknowledge this. I'm an introvert myself. It doesn't mean I'm shy, but walking into a room with a bunch of strangers um, at one point was enough to kind of cause me to break out in a cold sweat. So I'm just <laughs> going to put it out there. I will share a story with everyone. So I have been a, uh, in the financial advice profession for 22 years. I joined the profession um, in 99 and uh, I joined a professional association shortly thereafter, but it took me a while to attend in-person meetings because at that time, this professional association was meeting at night. And I, um, when by the time I got around to attending, um, I did have two children and they were, you know, three slash four, five slash six. So I was excited. I went to the meeting. And then I walked into the room of the hotel because I thought I was in the wrong place. I didn't see anybody that looked like me. I didn't see a lot of women. I didn't see a lot of racial, ethnic diversity. I saw a lot of older people and I thought I was in the wrong place. I was a little bit nervous because at this time I had not earned the CFP marks. So I walked out of the room 
not because I was in a bad mood. I just didn't think I was in the right place. I happened to run into somebody and he said, can I help you? I said, I'm looking for the financial planning association meeting. He's like, it's it back there. I was like, oh, so I walked back in the room and I went in the room. I, again, I felt a little bit nervous because I didn't feel like I belonged. I think that was more in my head. No one led me to believe that you don't belong. In fact, what is key about this story is that guy made eye contact with me and asked me, can I help you? Are you looking for somebody? And I said, I'm looking for the meeting. He told me to go in the room and I went to that room. And at that time it dawned on me. I was like, I'm newer to the profession. I don't see people like me in this profession. I didn't really let my, that bother me because I went back into that room and I stayed in that room. And I still stayed involved with the association. But then someone sent a survey about what I thought about the association. And anybody who knows me is like, I'm really positive. I said, it was an amazing experience. I feel like I've learned so much. I'm so excited to earn CFP certification because CFP certification is not a requirement to be a member. I said, but something that I really think there's opportunity improvement, it's not about pushing people out, but bringing more people in. I'd like to see more uh, diversity in terms of career changers, gender, race, ethnicity. Like, that's great feedback, Rita. Do you want to serve on a national task force? I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then what happens is I'm very passionate about planning me, myself, and I, before I recruited, uh, before I even passed CFP certification, I recruited 11 members to membership. And remember how I told you that guy greeted me? I didn't really know him, but I knew of him and he knew of me. And a couple of years later, after I passed the CFP certification exam and I did some committee work for the association, he asked me to serve on the board of directors. And I said to him, I was like, is this okay? You know, I did pass the certification exam, but I've really only been using the CFP marks for two years. Am I going to be okay? Am I qualified? And he told me, he's like, you're going to be fine. And I said, so what's the goal? He's like, your goal is to recruit. I'm going to put you in charge of membership. So you're on the board and you did such an amazing job recruiting members. I'm inviting you to serve on the board of directors. And then I asked him again, I was like, well, what's the um, goal? He's like, it's to recruit one more member than we had the year before. I said, well, that seems kind of like a low goal. He's like, we've struggled with membership and I just need to have net growth. You'd, be make, you'd make it hard for the next person. And I told him, I said, you know what? I love talking to people and I'm happy to do this for as long as you need me to. But what I did is I actually built a committee of nine people to help me grow the organization. And we actually grew our membership to more than a thousand. The database actually broke because we only had enough to hold a thousand. And then the reason why this is so important is A, I stayed in the room. B, someone greeted me, but somebody saw something in me. Even though I was newer to the profession, they saw my passion, they saw my energy. They asked me to serve on the board. But then it doesn't just end there. Somebody asked me, like, Rita, do you want to be president? And I was like, you know, I never really thought about myself as being a presidential. You know, I'm just like, I have my family, I'm running a practice. I just earned the marks. Do you think I'm presidential? And they're like, we absolutely do. So this is, I guess, what you call a sponsor, an advocate, an advocate sponsor. And I would say being involved with professional associations allowed me to grow my network. This idea of, you know, you stayed in the room, 
somebody greeted you, you know, you made those connections, you were willing to kind of put the work in. But the other thing is, is that you said yes. And I think a lot of people are willing to, you know, take a survey, give the critical feedback, but not willing to put in the work. And I think the real determinant of being an agent of change in that organization was your willingness to say yes. And so it's really not a surprise to me that they would want you to be president, that they would want you to continue with that success. So thank you so much for that story. I I really hope that it inspires people to walk back into the room and to say yes to the opportunities. So before we go any farther with this, as we talk about building your network, can you help us define it? You know, what is it to have and build a network? So sometimes, and you know, I even have conversations with my older kids who are in college and have graduated from college. Networking, when you say networking, it seems so corporate and transactional. But networking is really about conversations and connections or connections and conversations. And why should we network? Because these conversations and connections allow you to build your community, right? If you feel like, oh, I don't like networking, that's too transactional. It's your extended community. And the reason why, and this is why I love the mission of Women in ETFs, it is community. It is to connect, inspire, mentor, and all these things. And the reason why it's so important to network is because it allows you to pursue personal and professional opportunities and connect with others. Sometimes you can think, okay, I'm going to an industry event, going into some room in some hotel where there's a whole bunch of people, many of which I don't know. And I'm just going to have these conversations that, you know, will last for an evening. But it's it's not to be transactional in that way. You know, I'm going to give a little information. They're going to give me a little information that's all very sanitized. Instead, it's to actually create these connections so that you can have conversations so that you can create this community. I love that idea of networking, where you're not going into that room to figure out, you know, how many of them that you can talk to in in one evening. But can you find some real connections with a few people that will be lasting and, and sort of empowering in your career? Absolutely. I think why sometimes people get discouraged or frustrated with networking is they think it doesn't work. And maybe it hasn't worked for you. I want you to change the networking narrative so you can go in with the goal. So sometimes like my goal might be, I just want to meet one person. Quality over quantity. It's not about grabbing like 10 business cards. It's not about selling, but it's just about making those connections. So changing the network narrative, having this goal. So one person or some piece of information or some encouraging conversation that you can have. I I love the idea of going in each time um, with that goal. What else do you have in terms of sort of practical steps to growing our network? So I'm going to, like, if you're at a conference and you're like, oh my gosh, what do I say to somebody? (laughs) And, And especially now we've been virtual and things are opening up again. So you can ask them what speaker they're most looking forward to hearing. Open-ended. What have you enjoyed so far? What do you like about your role at your organization? So these are all open-ended questions. So if you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to say. 
what you do is you ask thoughtful, open-ended questions, and that way you don't have to talk and you can listen. Right. So drill us back a moment. So we're going into this room. We can all sort of picture it. We're in a hotel. People are already sort of paired off. You know, they have maybe have a cocktail in their hand. You know, they're standing around, you know, the high tables having conversations. How do you sort of break in? Like, how do you, how do you naturally flow into that first conversation? And sure, sometimes this can be awkward because you don't want to break into someone's conversation. So one of the things I do is I do a little bit of homework when I get there. And so I might go online. I might see who's speaking. Um, The other thing is if you don't have time to do that and this is spontaneous, you know what? You look at the name tags. You can see who's there. And if you're, you're at the high tables and you see two people talking, you're just kind of standing there. It's a little bit awkward. Um, and you don't want to jump into someone's conversation, it's okay to kind of not say anything and lean in. I know there's periods of time where it looks awkward, um, and then there's a break. Maybe someone goes to get another drink, and then you can introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Margarita, and um, what's your name? So you can make the first step. Hi, my name is Margarita. What's your name? What organization are you representing? And that's how, how you do it. Um, The other thing that I can tell you is I'm very intentional, maybe an introvert that I am. If I see somebody come up, I stop, I make eye contact, I greet them, and I bring them into the conversation. Mm. So you're someone who actually helps those who are feeling a little daunted about walking into that room. That's excellent. Um, And excellent advice to, to those that are already in the room to be looking for those that are, you know, sort of in the fringes and and wanting to come in. You spoke about doing your homework. So talk to us a little bit more about that in preparation for going to some of these events. What kind of homework do you do? So I'll give you an example. Sometimes I may be going to an industry event or a meeting at a professional association. And my intent may not to walk out of there with a connection. I might just generally be excited to hear that speaker because I've read that book. So I think it's important when I say homework is think about what you want to get out of that, right? Then if you say, you know what? I want to leave this event having three good conversations make sure that you are following up in a purposeful, meaningful manner. And I'm not talking about putting people on your mailing list. I read a lot. So for people who are presenting, I will send them a customized LinkedIn message. Dear Christine, it was great meeting you at such and such event. I enjoyed your presentation on X. I mean, who doesn't want to accept an invitation to connect like that? I'm not selling them something. Um, so I would say, think about what it is that you are hoping to get out of it. Another reason why I feel that people think that networking doesn't work is they don't have a plan for how to follow up. Mm. I think that's a really good point because it can't just be about that one night, right? So just the idea of like, okay, we met that once, we're now, you know, perhaps we become a connection on LinkedIn. That follow-up is so important if we're going back to conversation and connection, right? And I feel like one of the ways that I have found um, that works for me is that I like to provide connections with others. So for example, if I'm going to follow up after an event, if I've met someone, I'm like, oh, you know what? Based on your interest of what we talked about, 
you ought to know Jill. And, you know, Jill shares this as well and try to introduce people and, you know, become a connector of my network, um, which keeps me sort of in a conversation, as well as I, I find it really exciting when people who don't know each other find ways to, to connect. Do you find that as well? I absolutely love that. And I'm so glad you mentioned that. I think this is a wonderful transition. Networking isn't so much about getting. It's really about giving. And so what I think about if I met someone, I try to be that connector because I love bringing people together. I love it too. I love it too. Can you give us an example of, of, of a time where you've made a, a connection that's been meaningful to you? Well, absolutely. So if we go back to serving on the board of directors of the Financial Planning Association, so I served on the board of directors from 2007 to 2013. 2012 is the year when I was president of the Financial Planning Association here in D.C., so about 10 years ago. And in my role, I met a lot of sponsors. And in fact, during this time, we actually started to change our language. We started to call them partners, not sponsors, because they are partners in our success. And I met a lot of people who were interested in presenting to our chapter. And I gathered these names and I organized them and I gave them to this partnership committee and continuing education committee. And we have very good lead time with our programming. And so we did invite a company to do a presentation on reverse mortgages to improve retirement income outcomes. So I, as president, I met this partner who brought a speaker. This partner actually invited me when I was done with my term as president, so there's no conflicts, to serve on a longevity task force. What are we doing to improve outcomes for retirement? So from this partner, who brought me a speaker. She asked me to serve on this committee and, and help. Then that led to consulting. Then I met an actuary who was writing a book that asked to interview me and explain to him financial planning in the industry. Well, this actuary not only interviewed me, but he put me in his book. I am in his book. Prospective clients are reading his book. And I asked someone, I was like, how did you find out about me? She's like, I learned about you in Pete's book. That's pretty amazing because some people who don't really understand networking are like, Rita, do you work for like FPA? It seems like that's your full-time job. Like, don't you have three kids and run a business? Like, how do you do it? I tell people, you can't think about networking, like, okay, what am I going to get out of this? Um, right. That's a beautiful story because not only did I develop meaningful relationships, it actually led to paid consulting. I helped someone publish a book and clients found me. This is pretty incredible. It's really a food chain story, right? Like it's this idea of like the small things that we are meant to do and that bring us some joy, right? Over time, provide more and more opportunity. I feel like some of the surprises that we have with networking can really fuel us. I remember sort of early on in my career, my my head was pretty down. I was really trying to succeed on, you know, just growing my expertise and becoming reliable for doing great work, which meant that I really wasn't 
concerned about my network at all. And, and I probably should have been, but I was much more, um, much more driven sort of by the task and the work. And during this time, I got a recommendation by my mentor to, to you know, to branch out and, and to find an industry group. So I actually found a small industry group and went and had coffee with, with a connection there. And what surprised me about sort of growing my network with people that were outside of my organization, the fact that I would get access to like knowledge and expertise and ideas that I couldn't read in a book, wasn't public information, you know, was really there to sort of support each other, even though technically we might actually work for competing firms. It was the idea that that sharing of information, when you actually create those connections that sort of inspire you in your own careers. And so I feel like early on, I sort of learned that idea that by creating these connections, you really can get access to information and provide information that sort of helps the ecosystem of our industry overall. Have you found that as well? I absolutely love that. I do. I Sometimes people have said to me, like, why do you put so much time to the Financial Planning Association? Aren't those all your competitors? Like, what value are you going to get out of that? I want people to think they are not competitors. They are collaborators. You know, I've developed a lot of relationships in the media, and someone asked me if I could be on... So I live in Maryland, which is not close from the D.C. line, but there's no way I could be downtown to be on the... Um, news. I gave names uh, to reporters for three financial advisors because I know these financial advisors. I know that they are going to be able to provide valuable insights on the evening news. So that's what I'm talking about. These are not your competitors. They're your collaborators. Absolutely. We've, you know, gotten some practical steps. We've gotten some real motivation and sort of inspiration to grow our network. We're putting together something called a Thrive Guide for Women in ETFs that really highlights a lot of the great advice from our guests. Um, and that's available in the show notes. And part of what you've talked about with sort of building your network will be there. Another piece of it that I would love for you to address that we'll put in the guide as well is how does social media play into this? How does networking not just LinkedIn, but some of the other platforms really aid in sort of building your network? And, and what maybe what are some of the gotchas too with relying too heavily on social media? So one of the things that I think is really important about social media, I'm by no means a social media expert, but one of the things that I think is so important is you want to make sure that how you are presenting yourself online it's consistent with who you are offline. And I think that's where I do a good job. Now, granted, probably I could post a little bit more um, and tag more people. But the one thing I think I do really well is that I am consistent. The other thing is I also take the time. If I am in an article, I don't just say, hey, look at me. This is amazing. <laughs> I thank the reporter for the opportunity and I tag every single person who was also featured in their article. I think that is something that's really important because people love being thanked and people love the recognition. And so it lets people know that this really isn't about like me. It is about everyone else being able to provide actionable, helpful insight 
to readers. I love talking about networking. I feel like I could talk about it all day because someone like you that has done such a good job of it, there's so many things to learn. One of the things I actually followed up, Janelle Jackson did a great podcast for us on on high-performing teams. And um, I just followed up with her recently because she put out there this sort of opportunity to to get a virtual coffee with her. And, and I'm surprised by the fact that, you know, not everyone jumped on that opportunity. And she's an amazing leader. Um, and I think sometimes people are shy to even accept when people do put themselves out there. So do you have some courage building statements for some of our listeners on, you know, taking advantage when when people are sort of willing to put themselves out there and, and reach out? Absolutely. So the first thing I'll say is I know that sometimes we are conditioned to think that if we ask for help or accept help, it is a sign of weakness. And it's not. The person who is offering help benefits from helping you because they know that their investment of time in you is making a difference. So first I would say there is nothing wrong with accepting help. I also am going to reframe this. When you decline help, now I understand there's going to be situations where you may not be comfortable accepting help, but if there's a situation where you respect that person, you really would value 15 minutes on their calendar or an introduction, please take advantage of the help because when you're declining that, you're depriving that individual of that blessing, of that opportunity to make a difference in your life. So I hope this inspires people to accept help as well as offer help. And it doesn't have to be that hard. I don't mean to interrupt you, but it just, this flash of into my brain. So my husband is an architect and he is, he's just, he's awesome. I, I love him and he's successful and he knows all about how buildings go together and he's incredibly handy and I am incredibly not. Um, but I love to help. Like I'm always offering to help. Like he's, you know, he's got a job and it looks like it's big and there's lots of pieces and I could hold or I, you know, and he's always like, no, it's a one person job. (laughs) And I think it's mainly because I'm unskilled, but you know, over the years we'll be married almost 25 years this fall. And I think he's now learned that, you know, him accepting my help is, you know, is beneficial to both of us. Like I want to help and I want to be part of that. And, you know, his accepting of it is sort of a gift to me. And so I know it doesn't really relate to networking, but it is just so much of our lives, you know, being able to sort of accept the help of others, being able to ask help of others and sort of doing life together can just bring a lot more joy to the things that we do every day. No, absolutely. And I will tell you, there's things that you can do to help somebody. So introductions, writing them a reference letter. I'll tell you, there's nothing that makes me happier than knowing that that reference letter that I wrote for somebody helped them get that interview, helped them win that scholarship, helped them get that internship, helped them get that promotion, helped them get that board position. So many people say, oh my gosh, that was so helpful, Rita. Can I take you out to lunch? And I say to them, it doesn't mean I don't want your lunch. I'm so glad that you're appreciative. What I want you to do and how you can thank me is remember how I supported you. I want you to do that for the next person. And that's how we build scale. 
Yes, absolutely. I remember Sue Thompson sort of saying the same thing, paying it forward really does help change an industry, you know, change a culture, you know, change our citizenships. So, wow, we are getting toward the end of this podcast. And as our listeners know, I always ask this question toward the end, which is a favorite book of yours. I just think, and you said yourself, you read a lot um, and I do as well. And I think both fiction and nonfiction can really sort of expand our minds and give us access to ideas that we may not run across in everyday life. So what book do you have for our listeners that you would recommend? So nonfiction, Making Numbers Count by Chip Heath and Carla Stark, The Art and Science of Communicating Numbers. I'm reading that book right now. If we're talking about fiction, I'm going to have to say Pachinko. Tell me about that. So Pachinko is by Min Jin Lee, and it is a saga. It is a beautiful story about, I want to say, four generations of Koreans and their journey. And it's on a streaming service. I don't know if it's Apple TV or Netflix, but it is just an amazing story. You can't put it down. I read it in one whole weekend because I just could not put the book down. Oh, that's fantastic. We will have a link for that in the show notes. I'm going to also jump back to Making Numbers Count because I remember reading Made to Stick by Chip Heath. And um, my daughter is graduating from college in a week. And um, hopefully she won't listen to this podcast before then. But one of our gifts to her is actually Making Numbers Count. Um, She's studying to be an epidemiologist. Um, She's going on to her graduate studies in public health. And I just love the idea of how numbers are sort of visual around what numbers are and what they mean to us intrinsically can change the way we convey information. So I will definitely put in another plug for Making Numbers Count um, as a great book for that. Wonderful. And another thing my daughter taught me this trick, you know, when you read, it's also a great way to share your love for books and reading with others, whether it's a book club or an icebreaker. What's your favorite read? What are you reading right now? So it's a good conversation opener. Yes. And when we were talking about networking, it's a it's a great story to ask. Most people have on the top of their head, either what they're reading or, or a book that has inspired them. So um, another great question. Well, thank you so much, Rita, for your time today. Um, I love what we talked about here with networking. I feel like we could have a a 2.0 on this um, because there's just so much to talk about in not only building, but cultivating your network. So thank you for spending your time with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I would love, I love networking because I love being able to help people change their networking narrative. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rita. And thank you, our listeners, for spending your time with us. I hope this is not just information, but you let it be transformational in how you think about your career. I'm rooting for you. To find out more about diversity, opportunity, and events in the exchange-traded fund industry, please visit womeninetfs.com. And while it lasts, be sure to grab your Thrive Guide on becoming the leader you want to be. You can download it at with a K, christinedelano.com. If you haven't subscribed to We Talk Careers podcast, please make sure you do so. And if there's a topic you'd like us to tackle, let us know. All links are in the show notes. Thank you for listening.